Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Regional Roundup. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It is the evening runway. I'm Elliot Danker. It's time now to turn our attention to headlines coming out of uh, Southeast Asian region. We're talking about Malaysia suspending a license and air operator certificate of my airline, as well as the possibility of the Israel-Hamas conflict dividing the region. Let's get some analysis right now. My guest on the line is Adip Zalkapli, who is director of Bauer Group Asia. Adip, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, good afternoon. How are you? Not too bad, sir. Quite a few headlines to get through. Some not the prettiest. The first one out of Malaysia being uh, the suspension of my airline, the license and air operations cert. Uh, what went wrong with this low-cost carrier? Or, or maybe it's a case of Malaysia having too many airlines. Yeah, firstly, it, it should not have happened. Aviation, like everywhere else, is a very uh, tightly regulated industry. You know, that an airline was able to shut down or suspend its operations at a very short notice, affecting, I think, more than 100,000 ticket buyers is unacceptable, you know. But perhaps there were blind spots that the regulators have missed uh, when uh, allowing my uh, airline to operate. And of course, and there were reports that said that there were no signs of financial distress early in the year. Someone must have missed something to allow the airlines to operate uh, over the last you know, few months. Yeah, interesting that you, you bring up something might have been missed. I saw some reports that industry followers not too surprised that this happened when you consider it was launched just a year ago. Perhaps, I guess this is a point of speculation, fast-tracking a low-cost area into market considering you know, you're trying to latch on to the tourism boom post-pandemic. Yeah, it, it is a very uh, competitive market, you know, despite the... You know, travel revenge or whatever you call it, you know, post-pandemic travel revenge, it is still a, a, a very competitive market given that they are already very established low-cost airlines, not just in Malaysia, but also in, in neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. Adib, let's try and take a look at uh, what happens moving forward. There are a couple of issues on the table. There, A, you've got rumors of a potential revival bid. B, you have the Deputy Transport Minister Hasbi Habibullah saying there will be no bailout. So bailout is not a solution then. Why is that? Well, firstly, it's a private uh, enterprise, you know, unlike, you know, Malaysia Airlines is seen as the, yeah. the flag carrier. This is totally a private uh, operation by private and investors. So I don't think, so definitely bailout uh, is, is not a solution. Okay. So the company has no choice but to look for private investors, you know, if they were to revive the airline and negotiate with the authorities. I guess the authorities will be more careful this time mm. in renewing the necessary permits. So on that note of the caution in terms of renewing necessary permits, how do you see it playing out? Does my airline still present itself a viable business model or viable business solution? There will always be demand for cheap tickets, right? I mean, we've heard stories of people not getting their refunds on certain airlines, but people keep buying cheap tickets because I guess that's how the industry operates and people are willing to take the risk. Yeah of buying cheap tickets, you know, with a, even with a possibility of uh, multiple delays or even cancellation. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't resist uh, a good deal, I suppose, part of being human. Yeah. Uh, okay, Adib, let's uh, move on to talk about Malaysia's Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim unveiling a 393.8 billion ringgit budget for 2024. Anything stand out for you, winners and losers from this budget announcement? Yeah, I think the, I guess the highlight of this 
budget is the fact that he announced there will be uh, targeted subsidies from uh, next year onwards to be uh, implemented in phases. It you know it requires a strong uh, political will because mm-hmm. that means there will be uh, no more blanket subsidies, no more you know the end of uh, cheap petrol for everyone. Okay, if he was serious about it, but he also announced that the savings from the targeted subsidies or the abolishing of the of blanket subsidies would be diverted to uh, cash transfers, you know, for the uh, lowest income group. You know? mm. So I think he projected increase of about of about 2 billion ringgit from 8 billion ringgit to 10 billion ringgit of cash transfers. Yeah. And um, he mentioned that I think there's certain, uh, this will actually make the spending more efficient okay. rather than, because blanket subsidies benefit everyone, including the rich, the top 1% or the top 20%. Okay, okay. Would you consider, you know, this a budget that packs a punch? Does a budget need to pack a punch? Because it's being described as a responsible budget. Yeah, I think there are two ways to look at it, right? I mean, budget is, I mean, if, it, if it's done with, uh, I mean, in a normal situation, I guess, in the Malaysian context, maybe before 2018, before Malaysia's first change of government. I guess mm. PR exercise done through budget presentation might work, but I think after two general elections that saw change of government, yeah. I think Malaysians are more, I guess, become more mature in looking at budget. I think they can be patient and to, to wait for, for the results of this budget in the next in the coming months uh, okay. to see whether it really packs a punch or not. Okay, fair point, fair point. Uh, but when you consider that this is the highest budget ever tabled, I mean, uh, we just described it or, or we tried to, to discuss how it's a, a responsible budget, then would you say uh, Prime Minister Anwar is taking a risk on the amount or not taking a risk on this amount? Could it go wrong? Well, yeah, firstly, in terms of the amount, right? I think Malaysia's, uh, Malaysia's budget has always grown every year yeah, in, uh, okay. in terms of absolute amount. So Malaysia has never done uh, any you know, any significant budget cuts. It's always expansionary, you know. It's always an uh, increase in, in spending. Because some of the spendings are unavoidable, like mm. uh, salaries, you know, pension or status statutory payments. But of course, I think the the responsible part of it, I guess you can see in terms of how he's trying to, you know, divert resources from, you know, like I said earlier, from blanket subsidies mm. to to target the subsidies, mm. to cash transfers for the poor, to make sure that, you know, only those who deserve subsidies will benefit from it. Okay, okay. Adib, let's uh, talk about ASEAN countries and, well, lines being drawn with regard to the Israel-Hamas conflict. From your observation, Adib, uh, is it becoming obvious that sides are being taken with regard to this conflict? Yeah, I think for Southern Asia, for ASEAN, I think that has been the case yeah. uh, for a very long time. Right? I think some member states have diplomatic relations and, and some of them even have a sizable nationals working mm. in Israel and some have close military ties with Israel. And uh, on the other hand of the spectrum, we have member states that do not even uh, recognize the state of Israel. Yeah. So that, I guess, although it's always uh, uh, often repeated as ASEAN's weakness, but it's also ASEAN's strength. You know, it's designed to allow... Uh, each member state to take an uh, independent position on geopolitical uh, developments. You know, it's, it's rarely expected of 
ASEAN member states to be to be united uh, on these issues, and this, this includes the the Israel Hamas conflict, where the members take uh, different positions. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you you see how it does make us a good value proposition economically and business wise. You know, people still wanting to come to this area, so it's been that way. Yeah, at the same time, I can't help but wonder: Are they, because of this, could it potentially divide Southeast Asia? Well, I think there are bigger issues, no bigger uh, other geopolitical uh, tensions uh, okay. around the region that could divide uh, ASEAN member states. You know, that could really divide ASEAN member states or the ASEAN unity. But I think that's a subject for a uh, for a separate uh, sure. discussion. Sure. But I think why the division in this case is clear. I think is the the fact that it is an you know emotive issue you know, mm. for for, for mm. some people, mm-hmm. and then and South Asia is no. Especially countries with uh, Muslim majority population or Muslim-led government in the region, I think they are expected to make a strong position. Yeah. Because of domestic politics consideration. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they are expected by their voters to take a strong position. So, yeah. And the division is very obvious. You know, compared to other geopolitical issues. Yeah, you look on the emotive front. You can't help but notice that. It seems that this conflict matters to us more here in Southeast Asia, as opposed to the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Yes, obviously. I think partly because the both, uh, you know, I mean, in principle, they are. You could argue they are the same yeah. uh, territorial dispute, sure, but sure. they have very totally different historical uh, backgrounds yeah. to, to to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the population here could relate to one. The conflicts better than the other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, 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 the two are seen very, very different. Mm, fair point. I've been speaking with Adip Zalkapli, who is Director Bauer Group Asia. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Adip. Take care and have a great Wednesday evening. Thanks for having me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.